This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics live from the Wharton School, Huntsman Hall, Sirius XM Business Radio Studios, looking out on the Locust Walk at the University of Pennsylvania on a balmy on the way to warm August Wednesday morning. Cade Massey hosting this morning with a full house. Great fun. My usual collaborators here, Audie Weiner, Shane Jensen. But also in the house, guest co-host for the duration. For the next two hours, we welcome Ty Hildebrandt. Good morning, Ty. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for having me back. Uh, it's super exciting to have you. It is. We always love having yeah, anybody gonna... in-house. But we have Ty, one of the great football, college football followers, podcasters, observers out there. He's driven down this morning from the around Allentown area. Not and a bad trip. Not a bad trip, especially if you catch it early. And uh, Ty's going to be with us for the next two hours. Ty, as you may know, is the co-host of one of the best college football podcasts out there called Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal, I think you guys have been doing about 10 years now. Since 2008, yeah. So you're rolling into your 11th season? Something ten, like that. Yeah, the you're books. the math guy. You tell me. But yeah, it's um, it's been a while, oh and we're, we're <laughs> super excited for the season to get rolling. Well, we are, too, and we're going to spend much of today's show talking about college football, not not exclusively. We're going to open up with at least a few minutes of other sports. But Yeah, just to, just to um, make me feel you know, yeah, we happy gotta, and we included. Have to include, we have to include Audie. <laughs> He's kind of spoiled at this point because we've been talking so exclusively about baseball for a while, and that's about to change. It's like being an it only is. child and then... Getting Mom and Dad it. bring somebody else home from the hospital, and all of a sudden, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not the center of attention anymore. How, yeah. how does that happen? Well, I'm not the first child, so you guys can join the conversation. Give us a ring one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seventy eight sixty six, or give us an email businessradio at siriusxm dot com. Businessradio at siriusxm dot com. Even during the show, we'll respond to an email. Matt Dat standing by for your email or. If you're listening, one of the times we're replayed over the course of the week, four or five times. If it's not 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, you're hearing a replay, you can still drop us an email. You can reach us by Twitter. Our handle up there is at WMoneyBall. At WMoneyBall, we follow all of our guests. It's not a bad way to stay on top of the of the world of sports analytics. You can send us questions. You can send us suggestions for our over-under segment at the end of the show. At any rate, jump in here. We're going to be talking open lines for the next half hour. We have terrific guests, I have to say on our college football preview episode we've got bill conley probably the preeminent college football analyst in the world and a frequent guest of this program he is going to come on at the bottom of this hour and at the top of next hour national champion coach mac brown is joining us for half an hour conversation previewing the season mac of course with espn now but he was university of texas football coach for 15 years after stints at unc to lane app state but while at texas he brought home a national championship trophy we're going to talk with mac about the season at the top of the next hour all right guys 
Here's your chance, Odd. What else besides college football? Well, I have been watching some baseball, but baseball is just has some wonderful pennant races going on, and it looks like there might be a slight window of an opportunity for the Yankees to catch the Red Sox, which would mean that they have a better than 50% well, like, chance of making it to the playoffs. Two weeks ago, it was 11 games or something. What Six now. Six, Six games. Now. Yeah, it's really been reduced. You puckering out there a little bit, Shane? Well, I mean, I kind of expected this to happen because the Yankees are literally playing only the worst teams, the worst in, the teams in the leagues yeah. for well, the next well, like, couple Sox months. Well, Red Sox had its chance with the worst um, teams in the leagues and feasted no, no, on I, them. I mean, I, I think I think all of our listeners, as well as us, are aware that in fact we all play both the Red Sox and the Yankees will play those crappy teams the same and amount. But we also play the best the season, so it's, um, uh, it, it is somewhat of a balance. No, it's a balance. It's just not right now a balance. No, so like, yeah, the Yankees have kind of a very easy schedule to uh, end the season. So okay. I expected some contraction. Yeah, I mean, of course I'm worried, but I was I'm a Red Sox fan. I was always worried. <laughs> I love that. I mean, That's you know, I, I, I st- always worried. I think I'll probably live my life. Maybe I'll be the last generation to do so, but I'll live my life under the expectation of that the Yankee yeah. of, of the Red Sox collapsing. So you're Yankees. basically an English soccer fan at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's okay. right. That's right. Except, I mean, it would be this weird English soccer fan in transition where the English have won the World Cup a couple times. <laughs> no, no but we're still pessimistic. No, I mean, I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm just asking for understanding. <laughs> but also, I'm, I mean, ask, I'm asking for you guys yeah. to see it from my perspective. I don't, I don't know what I'm asking for. But there's a couple of things. To think I'm of, asking for the Red Sox to win more. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things to think about that's happened this season. Look, reflecting in the beginning of the season, I like to th- roll ourselves back and imagine what we thought when we started the season, and now look backwards and and uh, and reflect on what's happened in the American League. It's basically been a triumph of the forecasters: the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Indians, and the Astros. Are on top, yeah. and that was forecasted, and it's been a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. The big surprise, it, well, of the course, Astros is are less of a slam dunk than they were supposed to be they, because the A's no less. Yeah, because the athletics. They but what's crazy about the Astros is they're plus two twenty on their their diff. Their their expected winning percentage is, is closer to seven hundred than six hundred. Their actual winning percentage is, is six fourteen. So in a sense, they're surprised because they aren't winning as much as they okay. have been scoring and preventing runs. Okay. Uh, Oakland A's, of course, are the gigantic surprise. Um, although it's interesting because, of course, Billy Bean, founder of Moneyball, every year he surprises. So how come every year I'm surprised? You, you, just, you love that, that phrase. Just, every year I'm surprised. Let's just put some <laughs> really boring numbers on the table. They basically have the same record. The A's are a game and a half behind the Astros. Mm-hmm. But the run differential, I mean, let's just look at raw numbers. They've played they've played 132 games. The run differential for the Astros is plus 220. That's right. And the run differential for the A's is plus 86. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, this is a huge the difference. The difference in run differential is the Yankees' run differential. I mean, I'm, now, I'm talking second derivatives here, but basically the bottom line is that that gap is enormous. Okay, is there anything to it? We tend to think that that's all going to go away, but no. could there be something I think, to no, it? I, and I think... Uh, I, my kind of experience is anytime you've seen, you see that sort of like disconnect between run. I mean, sometimes when you see a disconnect between run differential and winning percentage, it's just, you know, kind of luck. random bad luck. Yep. Um, I actually will buy some signal into this particular difference just because um, I think bullpen is one of the when, yeah. it, when it's not luck, I think it's bullpen. Okay. I think it's the ability to kind of close out games. Okay, and I think that's what the Oakland Athletics have over the Astros. So by, way, by the way, the betting line right now to win that division, Astros minus three fifty. Yeah, which A's is huge. Plus, plus two thirty, which is so. completely un, uh, unaligned, misaligned with the one point five. 
games back. But, so but more aligned with the runs. More aligned with the runs. Now, in the National League, things are things. the only one who's doing what we expected um, would be the Cubs. Uh, the Dodgers are one game back, but they're, they're being beaten by the, the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. Total surprises. The Phillies and the Braves, particularly the Phillies, are, are the, the Phillies, huge surprise. Are the Phillies swooning? They're four and a half back. They now. are swooning and looking like at this point it's not going to happen. The Nationals have essentially dropped out, trading their real estate. Right, yeah. right, right. So the, I did see an exciting. It's, it's 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 odd and perhaps sad that it's surprising, but I saw Cole Hamels threw a complete game. Yeah, so yeah, first, yeah. He's still for the he's, Cubs. Yeah, yeah. And he's had thirty-four innings. I think he's given up three hundred runs. Which is a remarkable run for a relatively old guy, and I think the Phillies we're ta- we were talking about getting him. It's funny because the analytics people said stay away. Okay. Now, of course, this is just 34 innings, so the analytics team probably has more data um, to go before they make a, a compelling, dis- um, you know, look back in the decision. But all the stat heads said don't sign Cole Hamels. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 fun money, the <laughs> you know the, the well, they've got some stat heads running the. They show do. Over there in no, Chicago, they, they, so. yeah, Chicago get, does. So they, but so do they do in Philly. So Chicago went for it, and Phillies did not. And mm-hmm. who knows? Well, that it's the, the 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 new world we live in is where it used to be there were moneyed teams and there were smart teams. Yep. And now we have smart s- and money s- teams. Smart teams <laughs> with money, and so they can do things like that to like increase the odds of getting over the hump here at the end of the season. Um, what about other sports guys? The U.S. Open, one of the things Just that getting started. Yeah, yeah, but it didn't take long for the for women's seed one, to get tossed. Yeah, women's seed. What did you make of that? Well, we don't have Eric here to to uh, wax eloquent on the text and the tennis dra- tennis uh, lineup. I, I was un- unfortunately, whatever it is, I'm just not surprised. Because the women's just always seem to have movement, in contrast to the men's, where mm-hmm. it's the same three or four every, you know, going. Other than Serena, of course, who is now approaching grandmother stage. I don't know. She's, she's yeah, so that, old. If you take Serena out of the mix, yeah. then yeah. Um, it's more, I think it's more unpredictable. It's interesting that way, isn't it? Because, yeah. for example, consider women's basketball. You see, you see, you see college basketball. You see so much um, separation at the top. There's just not enough talent to go around, yeah. so the best teams are quite a bit more permanent in women's basketball than in women's than than men's basketball. You might I think the think same. Distribution. Yeah, I, I just think a team sport's different. That like I think you know, you're right. I think somehow the talent disparity in in women's basketball is such that you know one or two super teams can kind of like dominate. Can dominate. Somehow in in uh, women's tennis, I don't. Th- you don't I feel get like, the separation up there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but I mean, to have that separate, I, I think that separation in even in men's is kind of like random. It's kind of a fluke, I think. So let me give you a historical me, fluke that we have these three or four dudes in in, in men's tennis that have dominated. That's so a good much. question though, because it hasn't I mean, it feels if you look back over our lifetime, it feels like there's always been a dominant handful. There is like a very but, small, hand. but the, thing, yeah, two, the, the, the reason why that's counterbalanced is that historically they didn't survive as long as they have today. Yeah, and they're going right. fifteen years. And I, do, right. I did see a, a chart which is interesting for tennis. Back in you know, Eric and I like to harken back into the eighties when we were young fans. The average age of a top fifty AP tennis player was I just saw this was in the early early twenties. You know, twenty three, twenty four. Now it's right. it's uh, now it's twenty eight, twenty nine. Wow! And and it's that's a, a huge, and it actually brings it more in line with peak performance in other sports. So historically, tennis was always behind. And and, and the real question, I think, is why historically was it behind? Rather than why is it today, 28, 29? It must be money. It must be how much that... The the top guys, even back in the 70s, the top guys were were scrambling to make a living. And they they didn't have enough money to build the entourages they have now. Hey, on the women's thing, 
Let me give you a, a, a boring slash statistical explanation for why we see so much more seeming. We seem to see much more volatility at the women's top. If it's boring in statistics, those two words are oxymoronic. Here's, an- no. <laughs> here's another word for it. Well played, sir. <laughs> yes. Parsimonious. Let me give you more parsimonious. Okay. We're telling stories over here from our colleague Joe Simmons. They only have best of two, best of three yeah. in the in the yeah. Grand Slams and women's. We have best of five and for men's and. You know you're going to get more volatility. Oh, in the I best see. It's just sort of ex- there's the extra inherent randomness in the in each yeah. women's match. Yeah. It yeah. is crazy yeah. that I that's still that. left over. It's I odd, mean, right? You know, I just saw this little tidbit. I, I know that uh, women were not allowed to run marathons until the early '70s. Which is Which just is insane. They were forbidden really? from the Boston Marathon. Was there, there was no. Oh, oh, there was okay, no right. I mean, I, they can run one on the street. They, they were not. They were prevented from competing in the major tournaments and races. And the Olympics didn't have a women's marathon. It was considered too hard for them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the early seventies, and I think that the first women's marathon was later in in, in the Olympics in the eighties. But there's a classic um, uh, footage of a, of a woman who enrolled in the Boston Marathon. Secretly, yeah. and they tried to just to tackle yeah, her yeah, from running, right, right, and right. it and and it was it started the motion the movement to, to allow women to compete. And but the the reason why it's relevant here is the thought was that women couldn't compete in the endurance events. Yeah, and the vestige of that is the best out of three. Yeah, in the Grand Slam yeah, events, it is kind of ridiculous, which is insane. Now, I mean, maybe the, the men's should go best out of three, and but it's just well, they they do go best out of three except most, for the majors, most, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking, speaking of endurance, they're dropping like flies over there. We had like four matches stopped by. By, um, by by people saying they can't go on. We have people yeah. falling down on the court, having to get hauled off. The, the weather is just so brutal. Going to be brutal again today. Hey, one more topic before we roll over to college football. NFL football. Of course, this you know this great quarterback class that all we talked about in the NFL draft was the quarterback class, right? And now they're playing in the NFL, and now all we can talk about in the NFL is the how are the rookie quarterbacks doing? So it's just That's all I want to know. It's just <laughs> it's just preseason, but. We still get stat lines. I mean, these guys are, are getting a lot of time on the yeah. field. And so, you know, Darnold goes out there for your team, the Jets, Adi. We're trying to... Tight. You're trying to pump the Jets. Tight. We're trying to bring him along. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, okay. I'm still hanging on there. Although, trying you know, trying to funny. get people excited by the Jets. Catch the fever, everybody. You know, I did the see New people Jets. tailgating. There were, there were pictures on Facebook of people that I know tailgating at Jets preseason games. Oh, man. So shout out so, to them. Oh, That's so, insane, but right? is that like kind of a... Does that it's happen every habit. season, bad or is, it, or is yeah. it, just... it happens every season? Okay. But they wonder why they do that. So, yeah. any any observation? And Ty, Ty, Ty is, yeah. What do you know? Yeah, about I know this? we follow some pro football as well, and these guys are fresh out of college. Yeah. So you paid yeah. any anything interesting to you about what we've seen from this rookie crop of QBs, especially since you knew them so well coming out of, of college last year? Uh, Sam Darnold's been really impressive. The way he's seemingly picked up the offense, if you read enough about what some of the insiders are seeing in practice, he doesn't read defenses like a rookie. He seems to have poise, which is one of the reasons why he was drafted so highly, one of his calling cards coming out of college, that he had this X factor. Uh, So that seems, at least through a couple weeks of the preseason, to have translated to the NFL. So that's a good thing. For I think the if Jets. You're a Jets fan, yeah, but you know mm-hmm. that statisticians are not happy with X factors. Well, right, the X factor <laughs> is this unicorn. I'm aware, yeah. of, but uh, at least uh, from the eye test, it does appear as if he's right. adjusted well and that he's he's got the support of the team. So that's good. Um, Lamar Jackson's interesting to me mm-hmm. just because right? he was he was so dynamic in college and objectively Louisville's best player in yep. school history. So he's clearly very talented as a runner. 
and can do amazing things with his legs where he needs to improve his passing accuracy. If he's able to improve his passing accuracy, the Ravens may have a steal. But Ty, do we ever see quarterbacks improve their passing accuracy after college? You I know, mean, is that that, a thing? speaking of unicorns, that could be another <laughs> one as well. Oh wow! So I'm I'm suspicious. Now I don't know that much about football. I'm a caveman, but I do believe that <laughs> passing accuracy is important. Well, it's, but it's not the do all and end all. It's not. I mean, if if you have a quarterback that's really good in his feet and not a very accurate passer, you've got Cam Newton, and, okay, and you can that... certainly have success in the NFL that way. Truth. All right, so okay. we, increasingly we, the people are collecting stats and we can talk about, you know, we can actually measure accuracy in college and then compare it to accuracy in pros, and I'd love to know what yeah, Cam's, and I mean, Cam's I, numbers I, are. I mean, I, I bring up Cam Newton, and it's not like I've verified that Lamar Jackson is somehow on that yeah. path or has kind of similar numbers to that, but that is an example of how you can succeed without necessarily being the most accurate passer. All right, this is Wharton Moneyball. Cade Massey hosting this morning with Shane Jensen, Audie Weiner. Eric Bradlow is out again. He will be back eventually. I think and for most of the semester. And yeah. most of the semester. Yeah. I, I can get my shots in now because I'm going to be the one that disappears <laughs> yeah. so shortly. We also have Ty Hildebrandt joining us this morning in studio, which is always fun, mostly to talk about college football. So with that 15-minute scan of the non-college football yeah. sporting universe, let's change gears and jump in to the college football world. If you guys want to join the conversation, you can give us a ring, one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four. 942-7866. Ty, there's so much to talk about, man. What are you most excited about? 2018, what are you most looking forward to? It starts this weekend. I know. It actually started last week. I have people on weekend. Twitter saying, no, 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 no. Wait, week, wait, wait, zero, wait. week zero was last week, so we have to be fair to everyone involved here. But for all intents and purposes, yes, the big games of this weekend. Yeah. Uh, I think if you look around college football, the storyline that I am most interested in following because it seems ubiquitous across college football there are so many quarterback controversies mm. and so many new faces at the quarterback position that, uh, uh, to use a statistical term here, there is a lot of variability in where some mm. of these teams could end up just given the fact that just their quarterback position alone may not be in as concrete a state Great. as it's been in the past. Give us a couple of teams where you think this is going to be a very important factor. Well, there are some where it's obvious, and, and then there are others where it's kind of like strangely present right okay a good example would be clemson clemson made the playoff last year behind kelly bryant who was their starting quarterback and and he was young last year he He was was young yeah he was younger last year not not a freshman but he he was able to navigate clemson into the playoff got a little bit of a rough patch down the stretch but ultimately still did get his team to an acc championship in the playoff now what's the talk this year He's a starting quarterback. However, there's a true freshman who's every who everyone seems to be way more excited about, who is probably going to overtake Kelly Bryant. Supposedly the number one player in the coming out of high school. Trevor last year. Lawrence. Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, Lawrence is a name, one. a name to listen for because even though Kelly Bryant again led the team to the ACC yeah. championship and the playoff, uh, he's probably going to be out of a starting job by the time the ACC schedule rolls around. Okay, this sounds reminiscent of Alabama last year, where they had a they had Jalen Hurts, who had taken them to the playoff <laughs> the previous year as a freshman, but then they had, I think, the number one QB prospect in Tua come in as a true freshman behind him, and he was kind of holding him off all year until the second half of the championship I mean, if, game. If, if there's ever been a greater demonstration of Alabama's embarrassment of riches i would love to see it they wait until the second half of the national championship to take to take the bubble wrap off to a tongue of (laughs) iloa and lo and behold he comes in wins the game in overtime so as a uh, how do you know this how do you take someone who's graduated high school 
and make a forecast that he's better than someone who's led an, a, a championship level team yeah. to the playoffs. How does that? This is what it, what factors allow you to know this information? Ultimately, you can't. Ultimately, well, there's no way well, what of are the hints? But the hints that I, I think the hints begin. Uh, when these kids are in high school, and especially now as these recruiting services have rose to become a full-on business model, the the prognosticating abilities of those analysts have gotten much, much better over the course of the last 20 years. And also, I think a lot of the practices that you see on the college football level have filtered their way down to the high school level as well. So what we're seeing is high school quarterbacks are entering the college game. They're a little bit more prepared um, not only in terms of schemes, but also in terms of physicality and just their overall training, uh, there are so many more, uh, so many more resources available to these kids in high school to become higher level quarterbacks before they even get to the college game. So that's why I think, at least over the last maybe ten, fifteen years, we've seen uh, a greater propensity for some of these, you know, young kids to get a starting nod earlier. But what is it that allows you to make this forecast? Is it foot speed, um, accuracy, what is it? What do they do on the field or off the field that allows you to measure, and this is hopefully what's behind this, to to factors that allow you to make this this prediction? I mean, what is this guy Lawrence, is, right, is his name, um, doing on the field that people kind of recognize is so spectacular? Some of it is he's in high school. Well, some of it is, well, they they get them off the, I mean, they, they, they do get to work them out extensively. Right. And these guys go to camps from early on, and then they go to very elite camps. So Elite mm-hmm. 11 is the top, whatever, 20 quarterbacks in the country. And so they get a lot more than just what they see in high school. And it's more than just the physical components, especially with QBs. It's the ability to understand the playbook, and adapt to things on the field, um, learn over time. That's a huge part of it. That's kind of the most impressive part of these true freshmen coming in and getting a starting job. Is not that they can handle it physically, which is impressive, but that they can actually do it intellectually, mentally. So another another freshman who got the starting nod, starting nod this week is USC's. Yep, JT Daniels uh, JT. should still be in high school. I know this guy's reclassified. So young. It's yeah, ri- ridiculous, unbelievable. Okay, on the QB front, not just with freshmen though. Your two teams. So, so Ty's allegiances go. He undergrad at Penn State, but grew up a Notre Dame guy, and so his allegiances are Penn State and Notre Dame. They're kind of on two ends of the spectrum on the quarterback front this year. Both these teams are both like big contenders, like top ten, top twelve kind of kind of teams, but. Very different quarterback situation. So you've got Trace McSorley coming back for the Nittany Lions, one of the top quarterbacks in the country. And then you've got Wimbush for the Irish, which is a big concern. And he, here's an example of what Audie's talking about. Wimbush was a very highly lauded quarterback coming out of high school, elite 11 guy. He had to play behind a couple guys older than him at Notre Dame for a couple years. Comes in last year, great with his legs. And then my understanding is he's kind of got the yips halfway through the season, can't throw a ball Love that word. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that he couldn't throw. He just never looked comfortable. And... Furthermore, he never got better from the start of the year to the end of the year, especially with a young quarterback, in Wimbush's case, a, a first-time starting quarterback. You look for signs of improvement throughout the course of the season. Right, right. That that never happened. Yeah, now, right. he was great, as you said, with his legs. Ran for over 800 yards, like 14 touchdowns. That's clearly an asset for any offense. Um, but... <laughs> But you need to do more than just run if you're a quarterback, and eventually teams figured that out. He didn't get better, and now we kind of find find ourselves at the start of the 2018 season in this very weird place where Notre Dame's quarterback situation at the end of last year after their bowl game was in the hands of a backup quarterback named Ian Book, Mm -hmm. who led Notre Dame to victory over LSU in, in the bowl game rather heroically. So... 
Brian Kelly is in a situation now where he's got a quarterback in Wimbush who's very talented with his legs, a work in progress with his arm, versus Ian Book, who's not much of a runner, can move, but not much, not to the extent of Wimbush, but seems like he's got more moxie in the passing game. Two drastically different quarterbacks, and it, it's weird. Like They're not comparing them against each other. They're just <clears> kind <throat> of saying what skill sets one brings to the equation that the other doesn't. So it's, this, it's got in that kind of context, it's got to be so difficult for an offensive coordinator to plan out an offense for the, the season. The right? myth at this point is that they're going to figure out a way to utilize both. Oh my gosh! Which I I <laughs> say as a myth because generally that doesn't work as well as anyone Ty, thinks. You must feel terrible about this because of Kelly's history in handling multiple quarterbacks at Notre Dame. We have indeed seen this play before. Oh my gosh! And I mean Texas benefited from it. If you'd played, yes. I forget which quarterback, the backup quarterback for the entire game instead of the starting quarterback for as long as he did against. Texas in the opening weekend two years ago. That that remains the jewel on Malik Zaire's resume. Yeah. That Texas game. Yeah. yeah. So I'm hearing wow. that the, the the quarterback situation Notre Dame sounds. I mean, I guess grim would be a word, well, or, or at least on very very high variance. It it's complicated. Yeah, yeah it's and complicated. It, it, I think we're we're fast approaching a situation where, and it could happen as early as this weekend, by the way, against Michigan, who has one of the preeminent defenses in the country. We are fast approaching a situation where we're going to be two and a half quarters into a football game. Notre Dame's offense is sputtering. Does Brian Kelly make the move to his backup who he knows he can play, or does he try to ride it out with presumably Brandon Wimbush, who's been named the opening opening week starter? That will be Uh, fascinating to watch. Based on what you've just said, and um, maybe a little outside knowledge, but mostly just on what you said, my money's on the other guy. My money's on Wimbush not making it through here, and actually... For me, that increases my confidence in how Notre Dame's going to do. Well, By the way, we have them. AP has them number 12. Yeah, and th- this is what I'm kind of surprised is that we have this sort of quarterback on uns- what, what ca- somewhat chaotic kind of quarterback uncertainty there, but yet this is the highest I've seen Notre Dame ranked in I, a while, I, right? I, I, so what, is. What, what, what is kind of driving that? I'm excited about it. Usually I hate Notre Dame because mostly childhood scars, but, you know, it's easy to hate Notre Dame. But they've been so irrelevant for so long. You get kind of, it's like, the, it's like the, you come back around and sure, okay, let's have Notre Dame back in the picture. Plus, it makes the playoff more interesting because it makes it even more complicated to pick four teams if you've not only got five conference champions and a few runners up that are appealing, but you've also got this really strong independent. So, it, you know, who doesn't like a little complication when it comes to the playoff? Uh, what I would say to answer your question, why is Notre Dame, so I, I can't speak to necessarily why they're ranked as high as they are in the preseason because you can always take preseason polls with a grain of salt. But as it relates to Notre Dame's playoff chances, Notre Dame's got a workable schedule. Workable in that they've got enough heavy hitters on their schedule where they can really establish themselves nationally, but none of those heavy hitters are back-to-back. Mm-hmm. It's It's got adequate buffer in there so right. the team can kind of recover before they move on to another heavyweight. And then on top of that, they've got a really good defense that brings back about eight or nine guys from a year prior. Uh, that generally serves as a, as a nice stabilizing force. And there still is enough ammo on offense to score points. It's just a matter of this quarterback. Right. Situ- when we did our preview, Cade, uh, you know, I, I said to my co-host, Dan Rubenstein, in many aspects, this Notre Dame preview is the easiest one I've ever done. It comes down to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. It, how Brandon Wimbush i.e. Notre Dame's quarterbacks just on the whole do 
I think will dictate how far they're able to go. Mm -hmm. You know, this is an interesting tension between models and people who don't use models because you can't put every last piece of information you might know about a team into a model. In fact, in football, you can't put that many things into it because you just don't have that many much data. So with Notre Dame, we love them. Massey Peabody has them number six in the country. So, and that's like six points higher than AP. And we've bumped them up there. Like they ended last year about 15. We give them a 20% chance of making the playoff. But our model doesn't know that Brandon Wimbush looks uncomfortable throwing yeah, the Your ball. model is better off not knowing that. <laughs> well, so tell me, why do you have them then? Well, it's a matter of how they did last year and how that usually translates into performance this year, unit by unit. It has to do with the number of returning starters, and it has to do with their, how they've recruited over the last few years. And all those things stack up historically to, to make, a, make a, a lot of difference. But you can't, we don't have quarterback-level data, and we don't know these little, you know, that's just a classic tension. You can't put everything in the model, and it's one of the reasons that if you have a good model and good experts, they're usually better off working together than working apart. All right, on that note, let's step away for a few minutes. When we come back, we're going to talk more modeling with one of the best college football analysts out there, Bill Conley. This has been the first quarter of Wharton Moneyball. We still have three quarters to go. Come back and join us after the break. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics live every Wednesday morning. Coming to you from Huntsman Hall here on the University of Pennsylvania campus. Sirius XM Business Radio Studios. Cade Massey hosting this morning with my buddy Shane Jensen. We just lost one of our collaborators, Audie Weiner. He stepped out of the studio and into the classroom. As professors do on occasion, kids are back. School's on. Oh, it is. We got some classes. It's, it's back. We also have Ty Hildebrandt in the studio. We're delighted to have Ty of Solid Verbal fame. If you like college football, you need to be listening to the Solid Verbal podcast. They do it a couple times a week now. He hosts for 10 years, going on 11, with his buddy Dan Rubenstein. Fantastic college football coverage up there. Ty, just a, about an hour away, drops down here once or twice a year to join us. Delighted to have you. In this next half hour, we're going to talk to uh, one of our favorite guests, one of the best college football analysts anywhere, Bill Conley. Bill, proprietor of S&P Plus. You can find him on Football Study Hall. You can find him writing in lots of places for SB Nation. And then he co-hosts one of my favorite college football podcasts. Podcast Ain't Played Nobody is Bill Conley's podcast. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thanks for having me again. How are you, sir? I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm fine. You're you're back home now after a, a wild Las Vegas weekend. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm still a little hoarse, but otherwise, I think I'm doing okay. Were you hoarse because you were the expert on stage and they just wouldn't stop asking you questions, or because you were hanging out with fellow analysts talking football for? <clears throat> hours? Um, I'll say the former. It's <laughs> it's, right. it's going to be much more latter, but I'll, I'll say the former. Uh huh. But you're you're probably you're probably beginning to recover. Um, yes. How are you? How are you spending your last few days? Let's not let's not really take week zero too seriously. This is the <laughs> real beginning. I know it was fun. It was like the Christmas where they let you open one little present on Christmas Eve. Now we have Christmas morning. How are you spending your time between now and the kickoff? We have a little kickoff Thursday, a little more Friday, and then we get the feast <clears throat> the feast on Saturday. Well, I took the daughter to the arcade yesterday. That was one thing. Um, no, I, uh, this is going to be a weird year. I'm going to go uh, to Atlanta on Friday. A weird year opener, I should say. Going to go to Atlanta on Friday for the Shutdown Full Cast live show yeah. on Friday night. Yeah. 
uh, with uh, my my cohort cohorts at SB Nation. Um, so I'll get to hang out with my coworkers and, and friends for the first Saturday of the year, which is which is unique. I'm usually you know tailgating in a pretty uh, you know at a Missouri versus an FCS team game. Right. I'm, I'm changing it up this year. Well, is there a game on Saturday you're especially excited about? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know I, I I don't feel like there's a, a an unpredictable answer here really, but there are some certainly some narrative games over the weekend that uh, we're going to learn a lot about. But I mean, just when you start to look at the schedule, even like the the less interesting pieces of this week one schedule, you know, I spend the entire off season asking questions basically, and so no matter where you look, you're going to start to get answers. Whether it's you know FAU versus Oklahoma, even like a Texas versus Maryland or a Northwestern versus Purdue, like I, there are all these questions that are just kind of hovering around in the air, and now we finally get to start answering them. Even though we're going to inevitably overreact to what we see, yeah. um, it's still just nice to start to get some answers put together. What, what, what do you think we'll most definitively learn? To, what, which question might we get the furthest uh, along on this weekend? Because FAU is not going to tell us that much playing no. normally. Well, right? I mean, I guess FAU could tell us a lot <laughs> with specific results, but I think the two most interesting games from a, an answers and narratives perspective are going to be Miami LSU and, and Washington Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it's funny with Washington, especially like, I mean, my numbers love Washington a little more than I do. Um, and I, 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 now that JT Barrett's graduated, uh, the new quarterback that his own fans hate way too much is Jake Browning at Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when I, I mentioned him, or I, I, I spoke very highly of him in the Washington preview, and then the pushback wasn't from like Washington State fans, it was from Washington fans basically saying, no, no, no he stinks. <laughs> um, and I think it's just that phenomenon with, J, same with JT Barrett, where when you show major flashes and a, and a really super high floor as a freshman, we assume you're going to win about three Heismans, and when it turns right. out you're only very good, right. uh, we start to think you stink after a while. Right. And uh, So Washington's got a very big opportunity here, and, and, and they're facing a very, very good Auburn team. Do, do, are they, do they have a bit of a Jake Locker hangover? Because didn't he have kind of the same trajectory? <laughs> Yeah, except, I mean, Browning actually had the stats. Um, Locker, it, it always seemed to me Locker's, uh, his his hype was built on kind of like the Josh Allen type, uh, you know, the arm strength and all these other okay. things. But his stats never really reflected uh, that level of potential. Jake, uh, you know, Jake Browning, he's limited. He doesn't throw, uh, he doesn't have the most uh, amazingly strong arm in the world, uh, but he makes very smart decisions. Uh, He gets the ball out of his hands really quickly, uh, and he runs a very, very, very efficient offense. And so, um, I mean, in a lot of ways, like the the questions I have about him are almost the exact opposite of, of with Locker. Uh, but he's still he's very good. Even even if he's only top fifteen instead of top three or something, he's still very good. Got it. Hey, Bill, this is Ty. Good to talk to you again. Question: You brought up Washington. How your numbers like Washington more than you do? Are there any other teams that fall into that same category? The numbers like them more than you? Yeah, and I mean, I should be very clear. Like, I still think Wash uh, think of Washington as like a top ten team. I just have them at fourth, and that makes me a little nervous. Um, Otherwise, I mean, Notre Dame is, is going to be interesting. They're sitting there at ninth. Um, and I, 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 it's kind of like with the offense, until I see that they can really, uh, you know, that they have a lot of the same, uh, like, danger level in their run game without, uh, with, without uh, uh, God, uh, Josh. Uh, Josh Adams, sure. Adams. I was about to say Josh Allen again, and 
I knew that one right. Um, you know, if they can still have that same, uh, some similar explosiveness, if they can throw the ball a little better, you know, there's a lot of, I have a lot of questions about Wimbush in particular. Uh, so, like, if, if he answers those well, the defense should be awesome. So, I mean, I, maybe I don't have any questions about them, but I'm curious there. Um, otherwise, I mean, I kind of, I kind of like my list. I, you know, Michigan State. I have Michigan State at thirteen, and I'm I'm forever slightly doubtful of Michigan State just because it seems like every year they're coming off a season where they went five and one in one possession games. Uh, they were lucky enough to have all their to pack all of their regression to the mean into one season two years ago when they suddenly went three and nine and lost all those games and they popped right back over to the other side last year. So I'm 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 curious about them, and I have LSU at fifteenth, which makes me a little bit nervous. But otherwise, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the eyes and the, the numbers mostly dis, uh, mostly agree here. Bill, we were talking a little bit last last segment, first half hour, about how, what do you consider this time of the year? You know, we have these quantitative models, but th- they can't cover everything. We don't right. I mean, we don't have Brandon Wimbush's spiral as a variable <laughs> in our model. So you one of the nice things you do is you, you run your strict quantitative model, but then you have your own power rankings that just build on that. What are the main factors you're folding in there? Because you study all these teams quite closely. Mm-hmm. How how systematic are you, and what fold and what non quantitative factors you put in there? Or is it purely just idiosyncratic and gut? How do you adjust to go from strictly quantitative to a blend? Yeah, I mean, I think most of the te- teams that you know, I end up kind of different between me and the numbers. Um, yeah, I put basically as part of our season preview package every year. I basically, after having preview written previews about every team, I just I, I do like just a you know blind ladder match kind of situation. Like just compare the teams one versus one and, and see what order I end up with, uh, just in terms of who I would think would win on a neutral field. And so most of the time, that's going to me- mesh pretty well with the. Uh, with the projections, I mean, I've been talking about the, my rankings of projections all year, and, and they reflect the game in a way that I kind of agree with. Uh, I mean, I, I would hope that's the case. But uh, I do end up with some differences sometimes. I had, uh, I had Mississippi State a little bit higher uh, than normal. And I think maybe it's just a combination of, number one, I mean, having a better feel for injuries and suspensions than maybe the numbers do. Uh, one of the teams I was, uh, I'm a lot higher on than my numbers, but still not as high on as others is West Virginia because I know that just how much – they plummeted at the end of last year uh, when Will Greer got hurt. Right, uh, I'm, I'm right. very nervous about their depth. Uh, I don't think they have any, uh, but I think their starting 22 is going to be re- is going to be really solid. And I have them closer to the top 25, whereas my numbers and other, I know some others' projections too have them more than like in the 40s. So yeah, I think they may be the highest variance club, at least at the top. <clears> you know, in the top 30 of any <clears> team out there. I mean, some teams, some people are like they're going to they're going to give OU a run for the money in the Big 12. Others are like, no way, right. they're not going to win you know, eight games. Yeah. I mean, I think basically if they have a, a higher than normal level of good injuries luck, if they suffer fewer injuries than a lot of other teams, they could absolutely, you know, get, uh, put themselves in position for one of those uh, big 12 title game slots. But yeah, if they just suffer a normal number of injuries, I think it's going to hurt them more than others. So, you know, they've got uh, some interesting opponents at the top of the schedule. And I think they're going to be, you know, if, if what I'm saying is true, they're going to be better at the beginning of the year than the end. Uh, so they could still rack up some impressive wins, but um, yeah, no, I, 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 that's that's a very high variance team right there. I was higher on Iowa. Uh, I was higher on Iowa and South Carolina. So apparently, aside from Michigan State, I like the the grinded out teams that win close games. But mm-hmm. who knows? Uh, Bill, when we talk about the SEC, everyone knows about Alabama and Georgia. They squared off for the national championship yeah. last year. Big game. Alabama wins in overtime. Aside of those two teams, though. How do you grade out the rest of the SEC? Well, I, think, I mean, I think Auburn 
is right there with them. Um, I, you know, I think I had, let's see, what did I have them in my rankings? I had them, yeah, actually I have them sixth in my rankings and then in the updated S&P Plus projections as well. Like, that, I, I mean, they, they're all, I, I still can't completely explain why Kevin Steele uh, is so much better at Auburn than he was in other places as defensive coordinator, but he, he and that talent that he has inherited have really, really meshed. And, and once they had an awesome defense, um, well, I mean, they became a top 10 program because they still have a very uh, dangerous offense overall. So they, I, I, I absolutely include them in that top tier overall. But then it's, it's, it's at least some question marks there. I think the next two teams are Mississippi State and LSU. Um, Mississippi State, uh, you know, Joe Moorhead inherits probably the most talented two deep that has ever existed at Mississippi State, at least since the 40s. Uh, but, you know, we never, that, that first year effect, we never really know how that's going to go until we see it. So I, I'm pretty high on them, partially because I think, you know, I'm biased towards Joe Moorhead. I really like him and uh, I love his offense and all that. Bill, can um, we, let's jump in on Joe Moorhead for a second, especially yeah. because he came from Ty's school. So yeah. everyone tends to love this guy. How quickly. Can a new system, as you know, as different a system as he brings, um, take hold at a, at, a, at a place? And so, Ty, how do you feel about losing Moorhead from Penn State? And then what do you predict for his performance as he takes on, again, this super talented depth chart at Mississippi State? Yeah, I mean, I think Penn State is in good hands with Ricky Ronnie, who, who learned a bit under Joe Moorhead. And if the bowl game was any indication, Penn State's yeah. going to be just fine. From an offensive standpoint, they've still got a loaded cast of characters, even though Saquon Barkley has moved on to the NFL. Offensively, I'm not concerned about Penn State. Defense, we can talk about that okay. and, and you know some of the holes they have to plug. But I, losing Joe Moorhead still is, is a big loss, even if the offense is left in good hands. Mississippi State gets a guy, and Bill, I'm sure we'll back this up, who is schematically brilliant, mm-hmm. and he knows how to use the pieces that are in front of him. He's proven that pretty much every step of the way. I'm really excited to see what he does with his quarterback, Nick Fitzgerald. Now, Mm -hmm. I know he might not play, (laughs) at least for some part of the week one action here, but uh, going on throughout the course of the season, I think what he does at that quarterback position and how he utilizes uh, a... is it fair to call Nick Fitzgerald a dual threat guy, Bill? I think think we can say he's he's not the most talented (laughs) passer, but he's a bull with the football. Right. And uh, how he uses him, I think, will be pretty cool. It's yeah, be, it, I think it's really interesting that, um, you know, at Penn State, in his first year at Penn State, Moorhead uh, basically was the, the leader of an offense that had more big play potential in, in, than anybody in the country aside from maybe Oklahoma State. Um, and they were really good at, I mean, his system looks deep. I mean, it, it's, it's going to look for, it's going to look to take shots. It's not going to blindly wing the ball down the field for 50, 50 balls, but they, if the, if there's a shot deep, they're not going to be afraid to take it. But that was the case with Trace McSorley. Um, now he inherits personnel that's almost the exact opposite in that. Uh, I mean, this is going to be, or this was last year, one of the most efficient offenses in the country in terms of, you know, staying in third and manageable, uh, having your quarterback bowl ahead for four yards on third and four and, and keep things grinding that way but they also produced fewer big plays than almost anybody. And so, uh, you know, the, the Moorhead system isn't – I don't think it's really that big a change. I think he's really good at basically saying here's the personnel and here's what we're going to do right? and adapting it for that. But it is going to be really interesting um, if he can coax out just a few big plays, like just uh, within the system, if that creates uh, – because, I mean, if they maintain some semblance of efficiency and they just add a little bit more explosiveness, my goodness, I mean, that's uh, – you know, their defense is going to be awesome. Uh, they have one, one of the def- best defensive lines in the country, the side of Clemson. And so, uh, I mean, they've got a lot to work with there. And if he can just basically take that offense and add a little bit more explosiveness to it, that's a top-ten team. 
That's great. This going to be a fun storyline to watch. This is Wharton Moneyball. Cade Massey hosting this morning along with Shane Jensen. We have guest co-host Ty Hildebrandt in from the Solid Verbal. And on the line, Bill Conley of SB Nation, S&P Plus, Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. And, uh, Bill, I thought we might take up, especially with Ty here, take up a little exercise that I heard. We're going to steal this. Baldly steal it from Mandel and Feldman. They had a, they had a suggestion from uh, a, a listener that you build a playoff bracket, a four-team playoff bracket, but this is how you have to do it. You take one team from the top five in the AP poll, another team from the next five, a third team from the third five, and then a fourth team, you're constrained to choose that team from AP spot 16 through 25. <laughs> so let's hear, I'll, I'll represent Massey Peabody here, Ty um, will represent Solid Verbal, and on the podcast ain't played nobody s&p plus front bill Connolly. bill as the yeah. call-in guest you go first with your top five let's just oh, review man. real I don't quickly even, don't even get to listen to everybody else's answers we, um, we can trade it around we'll trade it around so the top just for the, our listeners the ap top five goes alabama clemson georgia wisconsin ohio state yeah i mean based purely on s&p plus the highest ranked team of those five for me is ohio state and i hate I mean, I, I don't even want to just like think or talk about Ohio State at the moment. Um, yeah. So I kind of hate that that's the answer. So actually, I'll just cheat and I'll say Clemson out of those five. But you know, we're, we, you 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 also run Sims, and so it's not just about your top ranked. It's who who's going to roll through and make the playoffs and win. Oh yeah, no. I mean, before all the controversy of the last month, I was more confident in Ohio State than anybody really? else. I mean, wow. I, I I think we've seen just enough from Haskins to kind of back up the recruiting hype. Um, I, I mean, we super small sample size, so I could be completely wrong about that. But when you when you start with a star recruit and then you see him, you know, enter the third quarter of the Michigan game and play incredibly well, I mean, I, that kind of you're going to probably overreact to that a little bit, and I yeah. certainly did. But yeah. um, I mean, the the overall talent level on that team is absolutely ridiculous. Not that Clemson and Alabama can't really match it, but I, that maybe they can't match it. I, I, it's the only thing that's going to really hold Ohio State back this year. I think is is some of the off field stuff that's popped up, and that could hold them back dramatically we'll see right right um but All right. just on paper they're awesome ty your number one seed from the top five ap i'm gonna go clemson as well uh best defensive line in the country a ton of mm. talent across the board and i think fewer landmines on the schedule than some of the other teams i'm looking at here yeah. namely alabama yeah georgia wisconsin and ohio state i think fewer things from a scheduling perspective, go wrong for Clemson. Utterly reasonable. I would do the same if you guys didn't do it before me. So just to change things up, I'll go Georgia, not least because Bill hates Georgia for some reason. We have them number one. Um, they, they, they bring already a loaded roster, and they bring in the top class in the country. They do not have much of a quarterback controversy. I think that Clemson thing might be interesting to see how it unfolds. But, of course, the SEC is brutal. They have the easier division, but, of course, it's brutal. All right, rolling into the second five, AP numbers 6 through 10 go Washington, OU, Miami, Auburn, Penn State. We'll, we'll, we'll make Ty go first. This time. Okay. <laughs> I think the answer is Washington here. If Washington makes it by Auburn to – steal some of these stats from Bill's Washington preview. <laughs> if Washington makes it by Auburn this weekend, there's a chance they could be a double-digit favorite in every game moving yeah, forward throughout yeah, the course of the 2018 yeah. season. So this is really a big game for Washington on a number of levels, not just to prove that they can win a big, uh, essentially road game week one of the year in a, in a a against a huge SEC opponent, uh, but also to kind of get their or get their season started on the right path here. So for me, the answer is Washington. More questions for me around the quarterback position as it relates to Oklahoma, even though they're pretty stacked. Yeah. Miami, more quarterback questions with Malik Rozier. Auburn, I'm not 
as keen on Auburn as some others. And Penn State, I've got some questions about defense. So for me, the fewest questions are Washington. Washington, Washington's schedule, is it such that if they, say, for example, lose badly to Auburn, can they? Will they be able to through the rest of their schedule kind of make it back into the national conversation? Well, you know, we're in this new era of that. college football where the answer right. is most often yes. Yeah. But all, I feel like will. Uh, excuse me. Washington's in a weird situation now where they just need to establish some credibility, and credibility yeah. stands for something in this new world. So Washington needs <laughs> to win this game. I think if they lose, they're probably out. Okay, Bill. Uh, I would push back a little just just because in four years we've had one one lost conference champion that didn't make the playoff, you know. So I, I think if they if they roll and they finish twelve and one after losing to Auburn, I mean their odds are still pretty good. I, you know, they might be at the back of the one loss line because if, especially if they got stomped by Auburn, um, but I still think they'll end up you know more often than not just the numbers play out that they'll they'll still make it in. Um, and they're schedule. I mean, they still you know at Utah, at uh, Oregon. Oregon has pretty high potential if Justin Herbert's healthy. They get Stanford. I mean, it's not an amazing schedule by any means, but they'll at least still have a few, uh, you know, likely probably you know something in the neighborhood of three top twenty-five wins, quote unquote. Uh, so I, I still think they'll have a schedule to get there if they lose to Auburn. But beating Auburn, I think that's you know we'll overreact massively to that right. uh, after week one. That would be a big thing for them. Uh, from a number standpoint, I, I have to pick Washington too. Um, I think Oklahoma is another team with the right schedule, uh, obviously. And, uh, you know, if, if it, Oklahoma and Penn State are both teams where, you know, it depends on if you're looking at, if you're just thinking about, you know, listing out, like, here's all the, here are all the people they lost last year. You're like, well, man, this is barely a top 25 team now. Right. And then if you list out all the teams, uh, the, 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 the coaches and, and players and whatnot that they bring back, you're like, oh, that's a playoff team. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to put too much on Kyler Murray, but I, I think he's going to end up pretty good. That run game, I mean, he's so fast, and you put him with Rodney Anderson, even if they regress passing the ball, they're going to be amazing running the ball. Seriously, seriously. Um, so I'll, I'm going to take Oklahoma. It's just straight numbers for us. It's the by far the top, most likely team to make the playoffs, according to our numbers. We have okay. a 27% chance. The next in that group is Washington at 21, partly mm-hmm. because they are a very talented team and partly because they have an easier road through the Big 12. But, you know, I think that that second five is really interesting. You could make a really nice playoff bracket with just four of those teams. Consider Washington, Oklahoma, Auburn, Penn State. I mean, that could happen and mm-hmm. and that would be that would be solid. Okay, third five, guys. Third five. Penn State third five is, and my computer just goes to black, Michigan, <laughs> Michigan State, Notre Dame, Stanford, Michigan, USC. Michigan State, Notre Dame, Stanford, Michigan, USC. I'll take my first turn here. I'm just going to go straight numbers by far, hands down. <laughs> and I'm not just kissing up to tie Notre Dame. I'll take Notre Dame. We, we make them 20%. I know there are questions about the quarterback. My model doesn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to go Michigan, not only because I'm picking Michigan this week to beat Notre Dame, but I have a lot of faith in Michigan's defense. Yep. I think their new quarterback, Shea Patterson, can help them get to another gear offensively. He's got pieces around him. He had a, he had a, a, a top receiver go down just this Saturday with a broken foot, which is... A bit disappointing. However, still enough around him. The recruiting's been strong at Michigan. Tough side of the Big Ten Conference, so it's not a scheduling oh situation gosh, like right. Clemson where it, it seems like it opens up for them. But I think Michigan, if I'm picking from that lot, is probably my it, answer. That's like picking someone out of the uh, SEC West, man. Big picking Ten, out big, of a hat. It's yeah. tough. It really is. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say 
uh, I, I'm going to say Notre Dame too. Uh, I am. I, I've got questions, Woo-hoo. but from a number standpoint, they're they're just slightly ahead of Michigan when you factor schedule in. I got them uh, at you know basically what is that eighth most wins overall, um, uh, just a, on average, and and Michigan's a full win behind because of their schedule and everything else. So um, I mean Notre Dame probably has yeah the, it, they're starting off at least with the best odds of that group. All right, so let's go to the last group, which is a 10-team flight. The last 10 teams in the AP Top 25, I'll run through them real quickly here. TCU, West Virginia, Mississippi State, Florida State, Vatek, Central Florida, Boise State, Texas, Oregon, LSU. We're down to just three minutes, boys, so be quick. And, Bill, I think it's back to you. Yeah, um, TCU and Mississippi State are probably the ones I'm most confident in that group. I think my numbers are going to favor Mississippi State, I think. Uh, (laughs) Scrolling through here, they're at 14th. I've got, yeah, I think it's Mississippi State of this group. That's a, that's a fun. That's, good. that's such a fun line to watch. Now, you've got to pull them through the SEC West, so that's going to be yeah, a brutal. Yeah, but, that's a slight mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. yeah. If I'm forced to pick from this lot. You are forced. I, I, will, I will take the other half of what Bill said, and I'll go TCU. TCU, okay. uh, a proven commodity um, in the Big 12, especially with a guy like Gary Patterson at the helm. I have a number of questions about TCU, and in no uh, real logical context would I ever truly pick them to make the playoff <laughs> but uh, if forced to pick from this lot of teams sorry Kate I can't go Texas I gotta go you know, I gotta go TCU alright well I, and that hurts me I mean me your choice I, is clear Kate it is clear but Ty likes Texas he's not admitted it yet but it's one of his teams he pulls for <laughs> uh, Texas is my number here and we have him with a 9% chance the highest in this flight however I've already got OU and I know both of those teams aren't going to make the playoff so I'm going to go with my second highest number which is Florida State, especially since I don't have an ACC team. I don't like having Florida State in over Clemson out of the ACC, but I'll take it to have a rational bracket. And we're going to learn something about those guys, you know, straight yeah. away. They got the Monday night game. Tell me about the quarterback. Well, we're kind of out of time, but they, I just want to note that they lost their, their highly touted quarterback in game one last year, and he's back. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think with Francois um, and, and then having a really reliable, ba- uh, really a, a good backup in, in Blackman as well. I think this is a, this is a team that like you know that could benefit massively from a, a little energy surge here. Um, yeah. You know, they were pretty stale last year, you could say, right. uh, with the coaching staff. So I mean, if Taggart, if, if building the tempo on offense kind of clicks for them, uh, they could. This could, this is one of those teams like mid October they're in the top five, and we're not questioning it for a second because they just they look it. All right. Well, I like my bracket, guys. I like my strange flighted. You, the rational bracket. Bill, we're going to let you go, get, 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 get back to work. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us this morning. Keep up all the great stuff, man. Absolutely. That was Bill Connolly, SB Nation. You can find him at his podcast, Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. You can also find him on the Twitter world. His handle is at SBN underscore Bill C. That's Bill Connolly again, college football analyst and a repeat guest here on Wharton Moneyball. We've also got Ty Hildebrandt. Ty's going to be with us for the next hour. We're about two quarters of the way through the show. We still have two quarters to go. Come back and join us after the break. You're listening to Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics live every Wednesday morning. SiriusXM Business Radio Studios from Huntsman Hall. Cade Massey hosting this morning with Shane Jensen, my collaborator here. Audie Weiner off teaching. Eric Bradlow out and about. Those guys will be back. Some combination of us are here every Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. 
We have a guest co-host today. Delighted to have Ty Hildebrandt in the studio. Ty, down from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Ty, the co-host of the long-running, very popular college football podcast, The Solid Verbal. Oh, Ty, I'm wearing my T-shirt from a couple years ago. I, you know, I'm I saw sporting. it peeking out there. I was wondering, look at that. Okay, my you got to get you a new one now. I could use a new one. All right, this we'll is work one on of that. my favorites, though. You guys can join the conversation. One eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seventy eight sixty six. Or you can email us businessradio at sirusxm. Or reach us on Twitter at wmoneyball. Send us questions, observations, over-unders, whatever you want to do up there. Just off the phone with Bill Connolly, longtime fantastic college football analyst and a regular guest on the show. Rolling into this half hour, we are delighted to welcome Mac Brown to the show. Mac, of course, former national championship winning coach at the University of Texas, longtime coach there, before that North Carolina, Tulane, Appalachian State. He's been with ESPN since 2014 as a studio analyst. Does uh, uh, he's in with their big mega cast on Monday with the film, the coaches film room. And we are delighted to talk about college football in the 2018 season with Mac Brown. Mac, welcome to the show. Good morning, guys. How are you doing real fine, sir? Doing real fine. Couldn't be happier to have you. Where are you calling in from this morning? I'm in Austin, Texas. In fact, I'm a little jealous. You're in a T-shirt, and I've got my big coat and tie on. I'm headed down to the Alamo Bowl luncheon, preseason oh. luncheon today. So it'll be fun in San Antonio, but I wish they'd let me go in a T-shirt. <laughs> you it's a lot get, more fun. Yeah, you get, they make you guys dress up some. It's, it's it's not the best part of the job. But I'm a, but I'm a little jealous you're in Austin. Mac, i got to tell you, I'm a long-time Longhorn. I'm, I graduated in 89. I didn't have anything to do with having you on the show, but I couldn't have been happier when the producer said, you were coming on the show. I've been going to Texas football games since Roosevelt Leaks was running the ball. I was there in the stadium when Ricky broke the record against A&M in your first year, I believe. And I was also there in the Cotton Bowl when Roy Williams jumped over the line and caused the fumble that lost the game against Oklahoma. So I've been through some highs. I've been through some lows. and, and, And the highest, of course, was your championship in 2005. So we will be forever grateful for what you did for that program. The long 15-year run and bringing us back to grace, but also the championship in 05. So quick thanks to you on that. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. It's a great year. and It's funny. I asked Coach Rowe one time. He won three national championships. And he said, yeah, I lost two. I think we won one and lost three. So we, we had opportunities in 01 and then lost to Colorado in the championship game. We had an opportunity in 08 uh, and, and lost to Tech with one second left out in Lubbock. Then we had an opportunity with Alabama when Colt got hurt in, in mm. 09. So uh, I think sometimes it's really weird, but you remember more about the ones that you, you missed and lost than, than the ones that you won. I can believe it. I, so I had Someone reminded me about that 08 season, and watching that team that year, it felt, I mean, it really felt like the 08 team was better than the 09 team. I wonder what the analytics would say about that, but my gosh, that was a good team. And then to lose it in the way that you did in Lubbock, after that four-week run you had to go through, I can barely still look at Michael Crabtree. I can just barely do it. Well, I don't look at him. Uh, <laughs> I, I told Michael I don't even want to say hello to him. So I, I, he, he, but it wasn't his fault. It was our fault. Yeah. We had opportunities throughout that game to win and, and didn't and just give Tech credit for that one. Well, Coach, how do you, you're living in Austin. How do you follow Texas now? How are you going to be paying attention to the Maryland game, if at all, this weekend? And what do you expect out of the Longhorns this weekend? When I quit coaching, the University of Texas made me a special assistant to, to the president. So I'm an assistant to President Finvis and, and actually work with Chris Delconi, the athletics director, mostly in the spring to raise money and speak and, and travel around and, and, and talk about the Longhorns and, and 
uh, troubleshoot. And then in the fall, they gave me the opportunity to work with ESPN and ABC. And I promised ESPN and, and ABC that uh, I would be an analyst. I would not be a fan. Uh, so when I'm watching Texas football, I went to practice yesterday and I saw Tom and obviously I, I probably know more about them than, than most other teams that we cover. Uh, but, but I'm not one of those guys that's going to cheer for Texas every weekend. I, I can't do it. It's just, uh, it wouldn't be fair to the fans. And, uh, as I told Charlie strong, and as I told Tom do well, because, uh, I still work here and I've got to tell the truth. So if you're not doing well, I've got to say right. the Longhorns aren't playing well. And here's why. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Charlie understood that and Tom understands it and, and, um, uh, Good for ESPN, but I don't think it's fair to fans at Oklahoma and A&M and across the country if if I'm sitting there being a Texas fan on Saturday. I'm supposed to be telling the fans what I see, what I think, and what I feel like is going to happen. Well, sir, you, you with all your coaching experience, you would have a special insight into what teams are like when they have these challenges that some of the teams we see around the country have with their coaches right now. So Texas gets one of those teams right out of the box. They're playing Maryland where there's a cloud on some of the investigations around Dirk. And, you know, we can look at the Big Ten with a number of situations. What, what can you say about what, how teams perform and how they, how they stay together in these circumstances? What should we expect from these teams that are operating under this kind of cloud going into the season? You know, the, the, there's two different situations that, that have similar circumstances, really, in Ohio State and Maryland, who will be without their head coaches, it looks like, on, on opening day. And if you look at Ohio State, you've got two previous head coaches uh, on the staff. Um, you've got uh, a young guy who's an offensive coordinator that Urban really trusts and, and likes. Um, but uh, Greg Schiano and Kevin Wilson been around a long time, and they've been around Urban uh, quite a while. So I, I think that one will continue to just flow, and Urban – uh, starting early September, will be around the program. Even though he may not be on the sideline on Saturday, he'll still be able to recruit. So I don't see Ohio State falling off. At Maryland, you've got a younger coach that hasn't been there long. You've got a an interim coach who just got there in, in uh, January, um, doesn't even know the players that well, and, and uh, you're not sure about a young staff who's really worried about their future. Ohio State knows their future now. Maryland's is still uncertain. They have a committee that's looking into the culture of Maryland football. Uh, so that's the dangerous one because you really don't know who's going to show up for Maryland on, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, will the kids be able to pull it together? Will the coaches be able to pull it together? Um, and it'll be really, really interesting to, to see. But that's, uh, uh, that, that's one of those uh, um, situations that just as a coach you're really not sure what team's going to show up and what you want to do if you're Texas is jump on them early mm. because they've had so many distractions and 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 so much difficulty even losing a player that if you could get them down and 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 put some uh confusion uh, concern into the staff and the players you you might get them on a roll early right right all right. Well, one of the issues, speaking of coaching around the country, is how many big-time programs have first-year coaches. I'm thinking about Moorhead at Mississippi State, Kelly out at UCLA, Taggart at Florida State, Jimbo, of course, at A&M, just across the way from you, Mullen at Florida. We can keep on going. Can you talk about being a first-year coach? Is there is there one of these programs that you think is really going to take a, a jump under the coach? Is there someone you would bet on as doing best among this crop of first-years? Well, first, you 
the, the best time in any coach's life is from the time he takes a new job until the time <laughs> he plays because he is so smart. <laughs> right. And, and we in the media say, this guy's got it. Oh, my gosh, he's doing everything right. The last guy was an idiot. Right. Uh, because he's fired and gone. Or he left and we're mad at him for leaving. So it, it is, uh, it, it's kind of funny. Sally and I laugh about it because it is, uh, um, it, it's just routine. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like 50 first dates with, Oh, this guy's got it, man. I, I like him so much better than the other guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens, usually when you take over a program, there's a reason you're there. Either the, the other coach got run off or he left and left it in pretty good shape. But you're never sure how the kids are going to respond to you. And and when you come in, it's really interesting. It's it's usually a, a great first year if everything starts out right and, and everybody gets on the same page and we love the new or if, if we still like the old coach and this new guy comes in and he runs kids off and he talks about new culture and mm-hmm. they weren't very tough here and they mm-hmm. didn't coach very well here, you could very well have a really bad season because you have to re-recruit the players that are on that team. Right. Um, I, I see a team, I, I think Florida's got like 19 starters back, so they've got to find a quarterback. I see Mississippi State who – Dan Mullen left a really good team for Joe Moorhead. So uh, the expectations are, are really high at, at Mississippi State. They should be a good team. How will the transition from a coach from Penn State coming in without ties to the SEC or Mississippi State, mm-hmm. how will that go? It'll be a real interesting uh, ride with uh, Dan Mullen. His claim to fame has been quarterbacks and, and taking quarterbacks and developing them uh, does he have a quarterback on campus? Because it's been a struggle offensively even since Will Muschamp was there uh, through two coaches now to have a, a consistent offense that can score in the SEC East. Uh, but he's got a lot of great players on that team, and, and can he pull it together? So I would think one of those two teams is a, a team with a new coach that might jump up and bite somebody. Hey, Coach, this is Ty Hildenbrandt. Question for you about a topic I know that is near and dear to your heart, the Big 12 uh, we've talked a little bit about Texas this morning. We haven't talked a whole lot about Oklahoma. Obviously, they're entering now a new chapter, given that their all-world quarterback, Baker Mayfield, has transitioned off to the NFL. How do you handicap Oklahoma? How do you handicap the Big 12 as a whole as you look at it now in 2018? Well, Ty, when you, you start talking about Oklahoma, number one, I've been a Lincoln Riley fan for a long time when he was at Tech in East Carolina and long before he got to Oklahoma, and he was a guy I had on my list that at some point I would have tried to hire as an offensive coordinator. So I'm not surprised when Bob in Oklahoma um, stepped away from um, his great tenure there that they they gave it to Lincoln. And and I think he's a young superstar and will do a tremendous job at Oklahoma. Uh, His task this year, he's named Kyler Murray as the quarterback. Kyler's really never started. He's really never been the guy. And he was a great player in, in high school in the in the Dallas area. But the, the biggest question mark is, since he and Baker are different, um, the offensive staff in Lincoln at Oklahoma, I think, probably have the best players in the league overall. They've got to adapt the offense to what Kyler does better. And if they do that, I think we see Oklahoma repeat as the conference champion and, and have a chance to go into the playoff again. Of course, Texas is under a second-year coach. We talked about all the first-year coaches. Can you talk about the difference that second year? Riley has a bit of an advantage because he stayed it was the same system. You know, Stoops promoted from within. Herman comes in from a different system. It feels like 
many teams take a jump in that second year. They've got this. They've got a rep on the on the on the playbook. They've got a rep on the culture. Can you talk about this coaching as a second year coach instead of the first year coach? Yes. The 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 difficult thing for um, Lincoln Riley is that he took over a staff that wasn't his. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult too. It was a Bob Stoop staff, so those guys were not hired by Lincoln. And one of them's and Bob's Lincoln, brother, right? Yes, he's got his brother. He's, but he brought in Shane Beamer. He brought in Ruffin McNeil. He's he's rough. he brought in Benny Wiley as his strength coach. So he, he's making some changes that make it more his staff. Mm-hmm. And I think that should get better and better as he gets to build his own staff. Because sometimes it is difficult when you're following a legend like Bob Stoops. He's won so many games. The expectations are so high. And some of the staff says, if this young guy, gosh, I'm older than he is. Mm-hmm. I've been around a lot longer than he is. Why wouldn't I be the head coach? So uh, Lincoln did a great job of managing that and getting deep into the playoff last year. Uh, when you're in your second year like Tom Herman, what you're doing is you take the first year to figure out all your problems. Usually your first year is not a great recruiting year because you didn't have relationships with the kids in this area, even though Tom came from Houston. So that helped him because he was able to bring some of the kids that were committed to Houston over with him. Uh, but but people are firing coaches a lot quicker. Now, it used to be you had three years to figure out your problems and another two to fix them because you were on five-year plans or three-year plans. And, and now with modern-day football and what coaches are, are getting paid, coaches across the country are having to win immediately. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think uh, in watching practice yesterday, Tom has a much better team right now than he had this time last year. And and uh, it, they've got to run the ball better because uh, the offensive line was inconsistent. They've got to find a featured running back. They haven't really had that. They've got two quarterbacks that they're they're playing with, Sam Ellinger and, and um, Shane, Shane Buchel, but they've, they've named Sam for the, as the starter. Uh, and they got to get some depth at linebacker. Uh, but I think the, the biggest thing is that they start out this year being a Tom Herman team when Maryland upset them last year in the opener, uh, they were a team that, that even Tom didn't know who they were or hadn't put his, his mark on it. Uh, kids hadn't really bought in yet, and that was obvious in that opening ballgame. Mm-hmm. You know, they started a true freshman for much of the year as well, and this seems like something we're seeing more of these days. USC just announced a starting uh, a starting quarterback that'll be a true freshman. We'll see him in Austin in a few weeks. But you had a little bit of experience with, with young quarterbacks, and coaches are having to grapple with this more now than ever. What's your experience in dealing with, you know, you, you didn't, when did you know what you had in Vince Young? Because you didn't start him that much early on. When did you know what you had in Colt McCoy, who did have to start as, a, I think, a redshirt freshman? This is something yes. coaches are grappling with. Curious your thoughts on it. Yes, the, the graduate transfer rule and transfer rules in general, <laughs> excuse me, have really changed the quarterback situations across the country because if you'll look baker mayfield was a graduate transfer shea patterson's going to start for michigan on saturday he's a transfer so as we're looking at quarterback situations a lot of people are getting transfers now much more than uh ever before and it's really interesting to to watch it and watch the dynamic and and see where things are um when you start looking at uh uh, a high school senior that graduated early at South Carolina and his dad's a running back coach. And now he's put South Carolina in the conversation of being a team that could be one of the better teams in the SEC East. You look at Shea Patterson and, and his move, you look at Kyler Murray and his move. 
you look at a, a high school senior basically in uh, JT Daniels at USC. Can he come into Austin at such a very young age? Can He's got Stanford the week before he comes to Austin. So I think what you're seeing is in, in, in situations like Alabama, situations like Texas, where you've got two quarterbacks that are about the same age, you're also seeing usually one that stays and the other one takes off, and then what do you have? Mm-hmm. When we had Vince Young, we redshirted him because Vince was not a prolific passer in high school. But he was such a great athlete. And we knew what we had. We just had to uh, get him a little bit more focused on on the throwing game. Mm -hmm. When we had Colt McCoy, we thought Vince might stay, but he had such great Rose Bowls back-to-back. There's no way he could stay. Mm -hmm. There was too much money at stake. And and then it forced a a redshirt freshman, Colt McCoy, to step in and, and play against a great Ohio State team who we just beat and made mad the year before uh, in Austin. So that wasn't the, the perfect situation. But I think when you see that even as a redshirt freshman and a freshman, that the, the Colt McCoy and, and the Vince Young still weren't ready at that time, it concerns you when you're playing a, a guy who should be a high school senior that graduated early right. or even a guy that's mm-hmm. – uh, uh, like JT did not come in early. He came in in the summer uh, because if they're there in the spring, at least now they can progress a little bit from uh, an early admit through summer practice and, until the fall. But um, it's going to be interesting, even with uh, Shea Patterson, who has been a, a spread quarterback, and now he's going to run a pro-style offense. How mm-hmm. much will Jim Harbaugh change? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Will he have more spread in his offense now, unlike just being the uh, the downhill running pro-style quarterback? So it'll be a real fun weekend to see how some of these quarterbacks react. Mm-hmm. Wharton Moneyball, we are talking with former national championship coach Mac Brown. Mac, of course, now is with ESPN. He'll be part of the ABC studio team with John Vilma. These guys are kicking off their season. They've got a triple header this Saturday. They've got Alabama Louisville on Saturday Night Football earlier in the day, or actually what do we got? We got another ABC has the top 25. They have one of the best games of the weekend, Miami LSU, Sunday evening. And then, of course, Mac's going to be in the coach's film room on Monday night for that Virginia Tech-Florida State game. And that's a that's a campus game. That's in Tallahassee. That's going to be a lot of fun. Mac, I, I want to ask you one question, talking about these national championships. That is it true that in the locker room after the game, you told the guys, don't let this be your greatest moment? And if so, can you elaborate that? I'm, I'm, I'm struck by the challenge you must face as a coach, especially as a college coach, to try to get the, the maximum effort and commitment out of these guys, but then also somehow impart perspective. Because it feels like motivation is kind of declining perspective. It's like, no, everything is this, what happens right now. And then you have to step back and say, okay, hold on. There's this bigger picture. Did you really say that in the locker room? And can you tell us more about it? Well, I did. And, and number one, with 642 left in the game, USC had just scored and gone up by 12. So I, I wasn't planning a pregame uh, speech about how we came back and won the game at that point. <laughs> right. We were in bad trouble. And then you win the game, and, and you you have to find Pete Carroll, who was very gracious and said, I hate to lose championship games to anybody, but if you're going to lose, lose to a true champion. Your team is a true champion today, which was really classy of him. And then you go sing your, your fight song, and then you're in the middle of the field, and, and you're with John Saunders, who we lost a couple of years ago, and a dear friend of mine. And he hands you the crystal ball, which is what – one of the things that all of us dream to have, and you've got all your players there and you've got millions of people watching, number one, what do you say? 
And then you get into the dressing room. I try to get Coach Royal, the best coach in Texas history, obviously, and maybe football history, college football history, to come up. He said, no, Coach, that's your, it's your time. Uh, so you're up on the podium, and then you go down, and you're walking into your dressing room, and you see Mrs. Royal in her 70s up on the equipment truck with adhesive tape on the ladder putting a four over the three national championships. <laughs> you get a big laugh out of that and say, Miss Edith, be careful. We don't need to lose you tonight. Uh, standing up there. So there's so much excitement. Then you walk in the dressing room and I get a knock on the door and Matt Leonard and, and uh, Reggie Bush had come over to say, coach, we missed you on the field. We just wanted to come over and say, you guys have a great team. Congratulations. Wow. Um, and, and you're national champ. So I told the players that, and then I, I told them, thank you. Uh, we had a prayer. I told them, thank you about the letting us do all this, letting us have fun. It's really hard to get to a national championship game. It's even harder to win it. And when you do, you need to appreciate it because it's uh, like President Bush called me and said, you never know if you're the best president. You never know if you're the best father. Uh, You never know if you're the best husband. But it is marked that you have the best college football team Mm -hmm. uh, in the country this year. So these guys were the best team, period. And they had proved it time and time again and then you've got Matthew McConaughey standing there and Rex Lynn from CSI Miami. And um, you, you've got uh, Roger Clements and Lance Armstrong. And the, and the room is full of celebrities. And, and my mother's there. It's her birthday. And she just said, oh, hey, gosh. what about next year? Uh, this is a pretty good present for this year, boy. But you gotta you got to do it again. I said, Mom, give me a few <laughs> minutes here to talk to the team before you start asking for another one next year. And in looking at those guys, the first thing I thought is they're so excited, uh, and it also they're exhausted. So let, let's take a minute here and say, take care of yourself tonight. This will be the most visible you'll be for a long time in your life. So don't go out and mess up and get in trouble. Let's, let's be smart. Let's enjoy this moment and don't ruin it. And then it just hit me that this can't be the best. And, and you, you have teachable moments as a coach. There's none better when I had their full attention, when they were asking me to put this in perspective. And I'd even ask Coach Royal coming off the field, Coach, what does this mean for a coach to win a national championship? He said, oh, Coach, you just check it off. It's one that very few people get to check off. And it's really cool, but after you check it off, you got to go try to do it again. <laughs> so it just made sense to me that uh, this is really cool. Thank you. Congratulations. Good luck to you guys. They're going to the NFL or trying to get jobs next year. Hey, you guys coming back? We've got to try to do it again and repeat. But but what really hit me is uh, let's don't shut it down and be that 40-year-old in your letter jacket talking about this game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what you can do for society. Let's talk about what you can do as a husband. and Let's talk about what you can do as a father and, and a leader in your community. Use this to, to jumpstart your, your career into something else. They all looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and then 10 years ago, I mean, 10 years later, when we came back a couple of years ago for the Notre Dame game, it was funny that they all said with their children and their wives, you know what, Coach, we finally get it. Mm. We finally understand what you were saying 10 years ago because we thought you were nuts. Then right. loosen up, man. <laughs> Have a little fun. This is, this is time to, to, to party and uh, appreciate. But – uh, I think that's what coaches have to do. When you get teachable moments, it's our responsibility to make sure that we help the guys on our team understand better about life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you, Coach. Appreciate that. Speaking of perspective, I'm sure you continue to learn about the game, even though you're not on the sideline. You're, in fact, you're still watching film. You're talking to coaches. You're talking to other analysts. You're talking about it all the time. If you could go back and advise from this wiser, mature perspective, if you could go back and advise the Mac Brown coach of 20 years ago, what advice would you have for him? I think the first advice I would give myself, and I, I try to give the young coaches, it's hard to do, is enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey, enjoy the moment, because it's uh, it's fleeting. Uh, but you're working so hard, and as soon as you get one commitment, you're 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 going to another. And just like with the the national championship game, two years after we win the game, Vince Young's leaving. So we're dealing with trying to help him get to the NFL. And at the same time, we're dealing with Colt McCoy. And who's behind Colt McCoy? So things are constantly happening in your life. But uh, I would think that recruit players that have earned the right to be at your school, recruit guys that compete their, their rear end off all the time. Because even Pat Dye told me one time that if you recruit potential, that means you ain't done it yet. <laughs> and if he ain't done it, he doesn't deserve to be at your school. So make sure you recruit guys who have done it. And then enjoy the ride. And and the last thing would be make sure you always do what you know is the right thing to do. I, I felt like that uh, I asked our coaches to make sure they treated the players like they wanted their sons or daughters to be treated. And if they always did what they know was the right thing to do, and if they had to ask me, it wasn't. <laughs> right. Because they knew it wasn't, or right. they didn't have to ask. And the second thing is, if I saw a player cussing a, a or a coach cussing a player, I'd walk over and simply say, "Would you want somebody to do that to your son?" And mm-hmm. it, it was an easy answer. So, uh, those are the things I think I'd go back and tell me if I started over. Got it, Coach. Before we let you go, we want to hear your take on the season, especially, of course, we're already talking about the playoffs. You probably have been asked this question enough to know to have it kind of down pat, but we're curious: who's in your playoff for? Who's in your bracket at this point? of the season i've definitely got uh, alabama and clemson like everybody else uh i think georgia still gets back but i don't think they're as good overall but they've got a much easier schedule mm-hmm. so they, they've got one of the easier schedules in the country to give them an opportunity to get back and then i think you have to look at uh, ohio state and see if, if uh, all the distractions that have come out of the uh the coaching suspension there with with urban sets them back mm-hmm. uh, and is Penn State good enough or a Michigan State good enough to step up in, in that area but uh, those are the the teams that I would see that they'll be playing for it in the end mm-hmm. I'm curious about your perspective on Washington and Chris Peterson always had had kind of an association between you guys I'm not sure if that's a formal one but people often thought about he might be a long-term a long-term guy for Texas I think because he kind of is cut in some of the same ways from the Mac Brown mold but what's it going to take for him way over there in the Northwest to step into this national conversation more seriously? He's got a great team, but people are often leaving them out of this playoff four. Yes, I'm a huge Chris Peterson fan, and and I love everything he does in his program. I'd, I'd send my son to go play for Chris Peterson. I've always felt that way and actually hired Brian Harson mm-hmm. from Chris as offensive coordinator simply because I, I admired the way Chris ran his program and his offense and his power running game and the ability to still take deep shots and the tricks that he had mm-hmm. that, that were part of his offense. Um, I had uh, dinner with Chris at Pac-12 Media Day this year, 
uh, about a month ago and sat and talked to him. He lost 10 uh, great players and starters during the season to injury last year, and, and all should be back, which should really help him. He's got mm-hmm. the experienced quarterback. Um, big game this weekend uh, in yeah. Atlanta with, with Auburn, and and obviously it'll be a home game for Auburn because they're an hour and a half from Atlanta, and those fans will be packed in there, and it'll, it'll be um, really, really loud for them. Washington went to play Alabama in, the, in this same city, same type setting two years ago in the, the playoff, and, and it was all Alabama fans. So they'll be ready for that. Yep. But I think this is a huge game for them because um, a lot of people have talked about the Pac-12 uh, because they play their game so much later. A lot of us on the East Coast don't stay up and watch them. You might see a quarter. You might see a half. Uh, but there are some early games like SC and Texas. Uh, there are some early games in the, the Pac-12 that uh, they need to make a statement. Mm-hmm. And I think Chris is fully aware if, if he wants to be in the, the mix at the end, um, beating Auburn, which I think a lot of people would think is an upset, is a huge game for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Last question, because Ty's sitting here. I'm trying to talk Ty into his favorite team, next favorite team, Notre Dame being a serious contender for the playoff. What about Notre Dame, Coach? I think we'll know Saturday afternoon. That quick. I think I think when Michigan comes in, I think Michigan, this will be the best Michigan team that Jim Harbaugh has if Shea Patterson works out because he hasn't really had the, the quarterback that can move around and throw. And Jim's a tremendous coach. We all know that. I, I, I chuckle sometimes when people are saying, well, he just hadn't delivered. Well, uh, there's so much hype. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a first-round draft choice going to the uh, – a bad team in the first year, and everybody expects them to win every game. Um, it usually doesn't happen, but now this is Jim's team. And the the question will be the quarterback. Now, Wimbush uh, did a great job last year for Notre Dame. I'm, I'm also a, a Brian Kelly fan. He, he does it right. He does a tremendous job. It'll be at Notre Dame. And people asked the other day, they asked me, does, is this a season changer if you win one of these opening games, when you're Miami and LSU and, and when you're Virginia Tech and Florida State, which is even a conference game, it is because the team that wins has to get their feet back on the ground and, and kind of start over and be hard on their team again because they'll feel too good about themselves. And the team that loses, their fan base is going to say, we're out. Mm-hmm. This season's over. It, it's just changed so much that you can overcome an early loss. But uh, I, I think Notre Dame – they lost Elko to, to Texas A&M on defense. Got a new defensive coordinator. I really like their offensive coordinator. And uh, that may be the game that I'm more looking forward to this weekend than any of that one. West Virginia, Tennessee with a Heisman Trophy candidate at West Virginia and a new coach at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a, a lot of things this weekend that'll be fun to watch. It, it will be fun and very much looking forward to it. Coach, listen, really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on, and we all can't wait till the weekend. Should be a great start to college football. Absolutely. Coach Mac Brown, national championship winning coach from the University of Texas, 15 years there, been with ESPN since then. He's going to be all over ESPN and ABC this weekend. ESPN has the Alabama-Louisville game. ABC has the Miami-LSU game, and then they're back with Vautech and Florida State on Monday night where Mac will be in the coach's film room. That was Mac Brown. That has been three quarters of Wharton Moneyball. We still have a quarter to go. Come back and join us after the break. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. 
Two hours of Sports Analytics live every Wednesday morning, 8 a.m., 10 a.m. From Sirius XM Business Radio Studios here at the Wharton School. Kate Massey hosting this morning with my buddy Shane Jensen. We lost Audie early in the show. We just gained Eric Bradlow. Eric, welcome. Good uh, morning. Thanks, Kate. It's good to be back. And I actually was hearing you guys and Ty as I was driving in this morning. I'm like, can't let you guys have all the fun. <laughs> I haven't seen you in like a month. We've been missing each other in the studio. And, of course, guest co-host Ty Hildebrandt, who we appreciate making the drive down from Allentown. Ty, of course, from Solid Verbal fame. If you're a college football fan, you should be listening to the Solid Verbal podcast. It's one of the great ones out there. Ty does that with his buddy Dan Rubenstein. Been doing it for 10 years now, rolling into his 11th year. Yes, sir. Guys, we were just off the phone with Mac Brown. That was a lot of fun. Of course, especially fun for me because being a Texas guy, I, and I feel like we've been talking a lot of Texas football this show. Probably should dial it back a little bit. But anything you heard from him that you want to note or elaborate on? Well, I, you know, his take on how you figure out your quarterback situation to me was was pretty interesting you know Remind I mean, us what that take was time well i mean he he's talking about the transfer rules and how that's impacted college football and uh, we see it now more than ever where the grad transfer grad transferring has sort of become a verb now in the world of college football in a way that it hadn't previously so that in and of itself complicates factors um, because quarterbacks now enter the college game with such high regard, if they're not able to start right away or within some finite window, uh, their inclination is to transfer a little bit more so than I think we've seen uh, at any point that I can remember in, in growing up watching college football. So that that has changed the dynamic. It's almost like a free agent market of sorts in that well, quarterbacks move around he, a lot more. But he was talking about the, the consequence to the departing team as well. In fact, sure. the motivation for the question was, yeah, you can get these experienced guys on the market, but you lose experienced guys How do you keep everybody well? happy is, is yeah. really something these guys have to deal with. So, Todd, let me ask you a question about that. I mean, obviously, you know, in all markets, matter of fact, Adi asked you this question in the first half hour, like, how can you possibly predict from high school people and who's going to do well? Wouldn't you see this becoming even more popular over time? Because in some sense, you have data for a lot of these people. And so why not bring in somebody where you have more information, lower variance? And so these transfers, if they've played some, don't you think that's going to become a market as people do risk-reward trade-offs? But, I mean, why not if, if you have sort of a systematic pattern of that, doesn't that also affect your recruiting, right? That's true it, as well. It could. So here, I, and I get what you're saying. What I would point out, though, as as a bit of a uh, opposite argument, is despite the fact that we have more and more grad transfers, it seems we have fewer and fewer that actually work out. You know, in theory, the, the hit a, rate is a lot lower than you expect. In theory, it's a great thing. But a good example is uh, a quarterback from Alabama. Excuse me, a quarterback from Arizona transferred up to Indiana. Presumably, was going to be the starting quarterback. They named somebody else. Mm -hmm. They named a guy from last year the starter. Now he's going to try and go on to. You know, a junior college somewhere to play his college football. So it's it, it's more complicated than meets the eye, and it, as Cade said, is it has a little bit lower of a conversion rate than you might expect. So, by the way, speaking of Arizona and quarterbacks, I want to say Khalil Tate is one of the players I'm most excited to see play this year. For me, he exploded out of nowhere last year, like almost no player in my entire college football experience. Any other players you're especially excited about this year? Wow. Well, I mean, so the Khalil Tate thing is is obviously an extreme example. And he's got Sumlin, so Sumlin's known for an offensive mind. He's probably going to figure out how to deploy him even more effectively. It, I am very curious to see what happens there. I'm excited to see Will Greer. Will oh, Greer? I don't want him to do well, but go well, ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, you're a Big 12 guy, so that makes sense. But Will Greer was hurt last year. He's obviously got a rapport with his star receiver, David Sills. Yeah, right, that combo. But, and, and, you know, as Bill mentioned earlier in the show— 
depth at at West Virginia could be a bit of an issue, and defense at West Virginia seems to always be a bit of an issue. Dana doesn't worry about defense. They don't Come worry on, about defense. They play offense at West Virginia, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm told the best defense is in fact a good offense. <laughs> Some people it, believe it that. could be. I'm excited to see Will Greer. <laughs> so I'm, I'm nice. surprised. Has, I don't know how much you guys have talked about him today, but as someone that's married to a Penn Stater. Trace McSorley seems like someone that could have a very good career ahead of him. Um, is there a bunch of excitement around Trace McSorley? Because that's someone that I've looked at and been following, and like, there's a lot of upside. He Trace McSorley is quietly and loudly one of the best stories in college football. So everyone knows about... You hated him two years ago, I hated him. Way. I didn't think he had the arm to play in college football. <laughs> Clearly, I've been proven wrong, but... Trace McSorley, and we talked about Joe Moorhead, this all kind of ties together. It wasn't until the Minnesota game of Joe Moorhead's first year as offensive coordinator, when he figured out how to move Trace mm-hmm. McSorley around mm-hmm. with his legs, that that Penn State offense really took hold. And from that point forward, it was like a freight train going downhill. Do you see it translating well to the pros? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant because I still don't think he has the arm. He's not a Baker Mayfield in terms of, of arm strength. And I think Baker's a little bit bigger than Trace McSorley as well. So there's a lot working against McSorley from an NFL standpoint. That being said, the NFL game has changed a lot. And there's a point in time where I wouldn't have looked at a guy like Deshaun Watson and said, wow, this is a guy who can excel for the Houston Texans. So, uh, you know, I'd be happily proven wrong on that front. What I would say about Trace McSorley now with Penn State in 2018 is we're going to have a real good opportunity to see what he can do when the weight of the offense is fully on his shoulders. Heard a lot about Saquon Barkley the last couple years and obviously how he can factor in and and make defenses adjust. But Trace McSorley is going to have a lot riding on his shoulders this year, and I think that could be pretty cool. Speaking of the Nittany Lions, let me give you guys a variety of empirical observations, which are really forecasts. I'll probably give them too much credit to call them empirical observations. But let me give you some numbers. Um, They're a version of over-under. This this isn't our official segment. Penn State, 16% likely to win the Big Ten. That's a massive Peabody forecast based on team strength and sims, and we think we have the best sim out there. Sixteen uh, percent likely to win the Big Ten. Do you think to take that over or under? Sixteen percent chance. Um, one sixth. One in six. I just want to be clear. You mean their part of no, the Big Ten? No, the whole thing. The whole thing. Yeah. I'm going under. No, man, come on. I'm, I'm going, going, going over. over. I think I'm I going think under sixteen percent. You think? Wait, you think? I so would we say have Ohio State, obviously. Yeah, we have. I mean, if we, the other side of Big Wisconsin, Ten, we have Wisconsin. Wisconsin's going. Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan. Right. Right. Last and time Michigan I checked, State. they're in the Big Ten. And Michigan State, they're very. And Michigan State. So I said I'm going under sixteen percent. I, I, I would. I would go over. Um, All right. The schedule. The schedule's pretty good for Penn State on, on the whole. They've got um, Ohio State, Michigan State, Iowa, and Wisconsin at home. So the home schedule is, know, is the home I mean, schedule seriously. works out pretty That's, well. Yep. For Penn State, and in a, in a loaded conference, especially a loaded eastern side of the conference, you start looking at things like schedule. You start looking for things like veteran leadership. And, oh, by the way, Penn State's recruited really well. Some mm-hmm. of their young guys that you're going to start hearing more and more about, I think, are going to be impactful in a pretty let's, big way. Let's play Cade's forecast forward. Let's imagine they do win the Big Ten. Do you think they're strong enough? To be in the college football playoff, absolutely for sure. You do absolutely unless they yeah. destroy each other. They could. Well, that's what I was asking. Yeah, I mean, do you see them as a two-loss potential Big Ten winner, and then in some sense, maybe the Big Ten. This is the year the Big Ten gets squeezed out. Yeah, I mean, there's always a chance, right? I my my sense is that you've got the Big Four on the eastern side in Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State. Either of those four teams 
could make the college football playoff, not to mention Wisconsin coming from the West. But whoever comes out of the Big Ten is going to be a pretty good team out of those five. And I, I fully expect that team will be in the college football playoff. Okay, related, the conference most likely to be left out of the playoff, Pac-12. Yeah. And chances, 58%. This is the yeah. So essentially, number. Essentially, your it numbers comes are saying that Auburn Washington game, right? Well, no. I mean, that matters. Am I oversimplifying it? Yes, there? You're oversimplifying. Yeah. But you, your numbers are essentially saying Washington or bust. Yeah, for sure. No, you can absolutely. We, we could look at we could look at USC's chances. They're a little bit lower than Texas. They're they're like six or seven percent. Well, we get a big difference from. Let Washington. me get back to Shane's last point. D- besides the Washington Auburn game, does Washington, except within the Pac-12, do they have other big games in their schedule that would allow them to quote unquote recover if they were to lose? No, but they, we, we talked about it a little bit before. It, it, it's really going to come down to the strength of the Pac-12. What undermined them so badly last year wasn't just their schedule, but it was like. The, every other Pac-12 team underperformed, and so they need an Oregon to come back stronger. They need SC to play up to its potential. They need a, a Utah. So you're saying in total, the Pac-12 has enough non-conference games to demonstrate that maybe the Pac-12 could be good enough. Unless they're as weak as they were last year. Yeah, what, what I would say about Washington, though, we talked about the schedule, and the schedule specifically beyond Auburn this week, the neutral cider game. All right, so if you look on the whole, they've got a game at Utah September 15th, this month, we'll find out a little bit more about Washington. People Utah's, like Utah. Utah's supposed to be legit, but the country doesn't respect the Utah. The country never respects Utah, but that's to the country's de- detriment because yeah. Utah's always good. They're at Oregon on October 13th, Oregon's which will be a tough be place to play. This year. Tough place to play. But beyond that, Stanford's at home. Stanford should be good, but again, game's at home. They also get Arizona State, UCLA, Colorado from the south, so they miss USC. Oh, my. I would take so that. So helpful. I would yeah. take that, and I'd be cheerful of that if I were Chris Peterson. Uh, they've also got a game against Cal in there. You know, Cal's plucky, but Cal's not going to knock off Washington. So I think I think it sets up well for, sure. for Washington beyond just this week. I, I just think th- they need to win this game to establish themselves. I also think there's this rooting factor, you know, because from his Boise State days for Chris Peterson. You know, people would love to see them get back to the you know to to the playoffs, the big game, etc. I think people Absolutely. are just rooting for him. Chances of the SEC placing two teams in the playoff: twenty-seven percent. I'd go over. It feels like over, right? Everyone's like, oh, yeah. man, Alabama, Georgia, Alabama, Georgia. And if Georgia doesn't do it, then maybe Auburn will do it. We, and this is based on no quantitative model, mind you. But I, I can speak to the fan sentiment. Whenever you've got a game like that in the national championship that ends in overtime, there, there is always this inkling to want to put those teams back in for some kind of rematch. Now, in fairness, we'll probably see that rematch in the SEC championship game. Probably. However, right. there's also a very good chance that that's going to be a close game. Well, the nice they thing play about, similar styles. I was going to say, the nice thing about the Massey Peabody system, and I know Cade's simulations, is that they take the both the schedule into account and the projected outcomes into account. So people say, well, are you taking into account the fact that these teams could beat up on each other? They're absolutely taking into account that these teams could beat up on each other. So you can't just marginally look at the teams and say, oh, they're going to be good, because you're right. There could be three lost teams in the SEC that are extraordinarily good, but a three lost team isn't going to the playoffs in the SEC. Go ahead. What what I would add about that point, about just the SEC placing two teams, much to our discussion about the Big Ten potentially cannibalizing itself, that potential exists elsewhere, too. That potential certainly exists in the Big 12, where you've got a lot of new quarterbacks. Yeah. That potential absolutely exists. Um, ACC? In, it, well, not, maybe not so much in the ACC um, as it relates to Clemson, but certainly as you go farther down in that conference, that's a possibility. The Pac-12, if Auburn goes out and beats Washington, 
there's a chance there are teams out in the West that could knock each other off. And, you know, Notre Dame's a wild card. We're not, I'm not even going to go there. There is a chance that we could have an opening where we've got a really close SEC championship game if it is Alabama and Georgia. And all of a sudden there is this this, this tractor beam to well, try and pull know, them Notre back in. Well, as you know, Notre Dame beats Michigan this weekend, and all of a sudden there's discussion of Notre Dame. I heard Cade's initial thing. They're starting at number 12 this year because everyone historically, I guess, you know, there's no history. There's no recent precedent to suggest they should be that good, but if they beat Michigan this week, and they're in the conversation. Oh, they'll be more in the, con- in, the, yeah. in the conversation. People will be putting them in their brackets. By the way, least interesting, least controversial title game matchup in the Power Five conferences. The most obvious title game, title game matchup in the Power Five conferences. Georgia-Alabama, 41% likely to happen, which is just, that's just boring. And that's even with the tough SEC West. That's with the resurgent Mississippi State. That's with the very strong Auburn. And yet we think 41% likely to What's see What's interesting is I think that's one of those cases where big probabilities in most fans' minds aren't even big enough. Like if you asked most fans that are fans of college football, they'd say, oh, it's certain. That's happening. Yeah. <laughs> so I look at the 41% and don't say that's huge. I look at it and say, I think most common fans would have said it's even higher. What What is number two? Probably because I can't see the screen here, but what, what is number two on your list? Is it Clemson-Miami right. or is it Washington-USC? Great question, and I believe it's Clemson-Miami, which is going to be, but it's a big drop down. It's like 33% yeah. or 30%. So Clemson-Miami, 31% is the next most likely, I believe. Let's look at the Pac-12, though, because you're right. Everybody's expecting that to be Washington-USC, and in our sim, that happens... 31% of the time. So exactly tied. Those are the, they're tied for the yeah. equally second likely. But, you know, what's different is that last year we were certain it was going to be Ohio State, Wisconsin. I mean, there's been little more certain in college football in the last decade than Wisconsin was going to win the West last year. Mm-hmm. Much less obvious this year, especially coming out of the East. But then you have the Big 12, which is the least certain of any of them. You mentioned maybe they're going to, they're going to chew each other up. Oklahoma looks the strongest, but, you know, strongest teams have done poorly, but then right behind them you have a complete open field with TCU, Texas, West Virginia, and even Oklahoma State all vying for not just number two. In a good year, they could knock off Oklahoma. What's very nice about what you did, Ty, I like, is that you know, in some sense, one of the things we do as analysts or statisticians is try to say, are probabilities big or small? And what you did, which I think is really neat, is you said, well, why don't we compare Georgia-Alabama to the other conferences and say, you know, how much bigger is 41% than any of the predictions we'd make for the other conferences? It's a nice way to get a sense of, are these probabilities big or small? Because maybe there's every other conference is at 40% too, and that's not what the data says. Okay, so moving towards the playoff brackets, another probability question I think is a little bit surprising. Let's consider the most likely bracket, and it's in our system, it's probably not very different from most people's system. In fact, I think Bill Connolly might have given us the same bracket. So let's take Alabama, Georgia, or like Max said, Alabama, Clemson. Let's just start with that. We'll go Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and then we'll throw in Ohio State. We're just going to assume that they somehow roll through the Urban Meyer controversy. That's not a very controversial four. In fact, it's probably kind of the modal pick for the four most likely teams in the in the playoff bracket. What do you think the likelihood is of that bracket? This is the most likely, not even controversial. What do you think that the absolute likelihood? I got a number, is? Oh, like ten percent at most. I would say I was going to go twelve to fifteen percent somewhere in that range. Well, this is why Stai. Yeah, it's it's definitely under the twenty seven percent chance that we talked about for both Alabama and Georgia making it into the same bracket, just because there are more factors 
that we need to consider. Okay, this is I don't I need to figure out a better way to communicate this because I think this is the overarching story in college football, <clears throat> and it's only underscored by the fact that my two super sophisticated statistician colleagues here are off by a factor of ten. The probability of that bracket it's a hundred is one percent. <laughs> <laughs> The probability no. of that bracket is 1%. It okay. is the most likely bracket. And and I'm telling you this. I is mean, a, this doesn't work in prices right, but I was the closest. <laughs> this is a, I'm, and, and you got to have, you got to give me some, you got to give me just kind of benefit of the doubt on the sim because we're doing the sim in sophisticated, proper ways. But this shows you just permutations that are possible. So you'll give me 100 to 1 odds. Yeah, absolutely. I got a dollar in my pocket <laughs> right now. That's easy, especially at those stakes. <laughs> Um, but 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 Eric, work with me here because the, you, I need you on my side here because this is the message. People think that the most likely outcome in a in a in a sport as unpredictable as college football is far more likely than it well, actually I, is. I think, let, me, let me give but you. But you, so you framed it in a way that made me overestimate. But I'm not blaming you. I'm blaming myself. You, I already in my own mind. You study this. People take reasonably high probabilities and shove them to one. So the way you framed it was Alabama and Clemson. Well, they're in. So in my mind, that's yeah. a one. So now there's only two degrees of freedom I'm playing with, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, but they're not one. And look, that happened to you. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm to crediting to you. you. I, well, it is supposed to happen. I'm still human. But this is my point. And, and, but here, here's a heuristic. What is considered the top ten teams, you might reasonably pick four playoff teams from the top ten. What statistically is choose is ten choose four, Eric? Uh, give me a second here. Ten has nine ten, times eight ten. times seven four times three times two. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, six thirty one out of two hundred and ten. Yeah, it's two one in two hundred and ten. If you only limit yourself to the top ten teams and then you consider them equally likely, you're already into two hundred and ten possibilities. And you've only got ten teams deep. Actually, so this is, but that we're saying that the top pick is basically only twice the probability. Like if we did it uniform, then it would be everything would be at like point five percent. I'm not with you, Shane. You're no, so me let me tell. No, no, let me tell you. I, I agree with what Shane's saying. So you may, let me first credit you, and then I want to bring up Shane's point quickly. You said one out of two ten. That's point five percent. Yeah. You're saying the most likely is only twice as much as if everyone in the top ten had an equal chance. That's right. a little surprising. No, yeah. no, no. But I limited it to ten teams. You got to go much deeper than that. All right. That. Well, if then that's want, the reason. Oh, if you, I see. If you I want, see, yeah. for example, you want to get, you want to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. want to be fifty percent likely to have a. Bracket. I just gave zero probability to anything outside the top ten when I exactly, did my which is exactly what people do. This is yeah. my point. You look at, you look, you look one hundred brackets in the most likely one hundred brackets. And every one of them, when you look at them, oh, yeah, that could happen. Oh, yeah, that could happen. Oh, yeah, that could happen. And you have a story for every one of them. One of those is going to happen, and it's going to seem normal. But it's not normal ex ante. I mean, you got to go, how many brackets do you need to be 50% likely of having the bracket? If, how many do you need to specify ahead of time to be 50% likely to actually ha- end up with the Well, 14th. since the top is 1%, yeah, it's, it's, it's hundreds. It's hundreds. Yeah. hundreds. This, is, this is actually, I think, a very important story. This is what we like about college football because as inevitable as Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State seems right now, it is so not inevitable. Something's going to happen. Something interesting is going to happen. Washington's going to come out. Auburn's going to come out. TCU's going to beat Oklahoma or whatever. Penn State, McSorley's going to carry them. They're not going to miss more head at all. So not only one of those things is going to happen, lots of those things are going to happen. I think That's we're going we like to we have to let them play these games and see That's, what happens. That's the way generally it works, yeah. Okay, guys, we're down to just the last few seconds. Ty, anything, last words on the 2018 football season as we roll into it? Other than saying that I am excited and thank you for having me down again, uh, I would say that um, 
you know, the first week of the year is obviously the one that gets the most fanfare. But this year, in particular this year, um, we've really got just a loaded slate through the first five weeks of the season. So we're going to find out really all throughout the month of September um, how likely these numbers truly are in the real world. And then certainly um, set ourselves up for a pretty big October and November. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pumped, as, al- as always, here That's at College great. Football. Well, listen, man, we really appreciate your making the time to be down here, joining us in person in the drive. We love having you down, Ty. Come again soon, please. Thank you, sir. That's Ty Hillebrandt, co- co-host of The Solid Verbal, one of the best college football podcasts out there. Been doing it for more than 10 years. Big following. Great way to stay in touch with the college football world. Ty Hildebrandt. This is Cade Massman hosting this morning. The whole time with Shane. Yeah. Partly with Adi, partly with Eric. Glad to have you back, Eric. Thank you to Danielle Bruno on the soundboard. Thank you to Matty Datz. Matt put in a lot of work on today's show. Really appreciate it. Our guest, Bill Conley, and national championship winning coach Mac Brown. Appreciate it from everybody. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week, 8 to 10 Eastern AM, next Wednesday. Between now and then, enjoy your sports. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.